and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is a spoiler-free podcast. So whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thank you for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 6, Episode 9, Smashed. You'd have to be smashed to watch this episode. (laughs) Smashed is what happens to Buffy at the end of this episode, right? Spoiler! (laughs) Smashed is what happens to the house that they're in as well. (laughs) Oh, oh me, oh my, oh me, oh my. So... We've been, or I've been, anticipating this episode because I really, I haven't seen it in a long time and I didn't know how I'd feel about it. Turns out, not great. <laughs> not, not great. This, this is a hard, this is a hard episode to watch, in my opinion, if you are a fan of most of these characters. <laughs> because most of these characters say or do something in this episode where it's like, oh man. Like it just, it just puts me in a, in a mood where I'm like, what you guys doing? What what are you guys doing? Yeah, I I didn't remember that the scene at the end of this episode happens in this episode. I knew that scene was coming, but I couldn't remember which episode it was in. And so when it happened, it was kind of a surprise to me. And <laughs> I'm just like, like <gasps> oh dear. Um, there's going to be, a, like, let's just be clear, right? There's going to be a lot of spike dislike in this episode. And if that's not your thing... Sorry, not sorry. I want to be conciliatory and say, like, we're also going to say nice things about Spike. I don't think that's probably true. Um, so I don't want to lie to you. I want to say this, and and we'll probably get more into it later in the episode. But as much as I dislike Spike, and as much as I am not on the Spuffy train, I think that there is a lot of nuance to what's going on here like between Spike and Buffy in this episode, but also in whatever happens in the future. So for anybody who is more on the Spuffy side of things, um, but still listening to the podcast, thank you. We appreciate you listeners. Hang in there. You know, I I hope that some of our commentary is interesting and it's totally going to be biased, but (laughs) I hope it's an interesting kind of bias. I hope that it comes across that We feel these things about Spike because of what he himself is doing and saying to our hero Buffy. It has nothing to do with Angel (laughs) because that seems to be the thing. It's like you're either Angel or Spike or can it just be that Spike says and does things in this episode and also leading up to this episode the past season that warrants our critiques and our discussion that we're about to have. I don't know, Steph. I feel like it's pretty clear in this episode from the subtext that anything bad that spike is doing in this episode is actually angel doing that and then framing spike (laughs) well i mean angel did far worse things so we can't really blame spike for anything he does (laughs) (laughs) oh dear okay (laughs) no Uh, no no you have an alternate title for this episode i can see (laughs) yeah i i would call this episode let's make this worse (laughs) because every decision (laughs) 
it, by most of the decisions made in this episode uh, could follow with that line, right? Well, how, how can I make this worse for myself or worse for other people? Do you have an alternative uh, title? Yeah, I'd call it the get down. Oh, like get down, get down. Is that the kind of get down you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, like kind of alluding to like the whole hip hop idea, right? Like that's the part of the song that you start dancing to, but also like related to this idea of like breaking down or or getting down on somebody right mm. like there's a lot of layers to this mm. um and, and that's what i think is interesting about this episode title and also the next episode's title right they kind of because they're one word titles there's so much you can read into that single word yeah i agree yeah so let's get into this episode it's messy and you know what the episode's not even that messy it's the characters that are really messy right now so let's get into it uh we start off with a couple two a woman and a man getting accosted by two men in an alleyway and the woman is saying you know we'll make a deal with you anything you want buffy shows up and she says I always wanted a pony. Oh, you weren't really speaking to me, were you? My bad. Well, as long as you're here. And she kicks one of these guys, and then she realizes that they are human. She's like, wow, a mugging. Haven't gotten one of those in a while. Usually it's with the blood and the horror. Just a good old-fashioned mugging. Kind of sweet, actually. But probably not for you. <laughs> so she hands the the a purse oh, the purse over to the woman and tells him to go. And then she starts beating down on these robbers. And she's like, "Come on, rush me! It'll be funny." <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Spike dives into this into uh, the fight, punches one of the guys, and crashes into a bin on the side of the alleyway because he's got a big headache because they're human. And Buffy's like, "Oh, what? Oh, like." She's like, what the hell are you doing? Because the muggers run away. And Spike says, I thought they were demons. And Buffy says, way to go with the keen observiness, Jessica Fletcher. Now, who is Jessica Fletcher? I don't know. Is it Murder, She Wrote? Let me look it up. It is Murder, She Wrote. Oh, my God. <laughs> Good job. Good for me. Good for me. <laughs> Spike says, remind me not to help you. And Buffy, Buffy says, more often? <laughs> And Spike's like, hey, little sympathy for the man with the migraine here. And Buffy's like, that's what you get for attacking a human. And Spike says, yeah, you'd think if the government was going to put a chip in my head, they'd at least make it so I could attack criminals and that sort. And Buffy's like, yes, because muggers deserve to be eaten. Guess you'll just have to get your rocks off by fighting demons. Now, Kara, do you remember back in season four and a little bit of season five, like every episode, they had to remind us, the audience, who have been watching since the beginning, that Spike has a chip and that the government put the chip in his head and now he cannot attack humans. <laughs> like This <laughs> this is clearly expedi- exposition that they are reminding us, don't forget about Spike's chip because we haven't brought it up in a while. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that. All I was thinking was, Buffy is so goddamn funny. <laughs> Buffy's fucking hilarious, I know. Like, the, the way she delivers that line, you know, muggers deserve to be eaten, the sarcasm, like... It was a glimpse of high school Buffy and the way she would talk back in Sass Giles, right? Like, mm, I just, I love it. Yeah, it's so delicious. Uh, Spike says, there are other ways, as in to get your rocks off. And Buffy says, and with that, an extreme, see you later. (laughs) She starts to walk away. And Spike's like, Buffy. And she says, Spike, it's late, okay? Can we just finish this another time? Sorry, could you deliver Spike's line again, but sound more like Riley? Buffy. (laughs) (laughs) thank you you're welcome spike says 
you want to jump right to the kissing then, eh? And Buffy says, I am not kissing you, Spike. Once was, and Spike says, twice. And Buffy says, but not again. And she starts to walk away. Then Spike calls her a tease and says, you get a fellow's motor revving, let the tension marinate a couple of days, then bam, crown yourself an ice queen. Uh, okay. Buffy says, you need a few more metaphors for that little mix. And Spike says, it's only a matter of time before you realize I'm the only one here for you, pet. You've got no one else. Kara is having a brain aneurysm as I read that out because fuck you spike <laughs> fucking isolate much right well yeah I, I i don't think we need to explain too much why that line is so awful right no, like, we want to explain <laughs> i want to <laughs> but but like this is classic like victim blaming and gaslighting and basically being like you know oh so she kissed him once twice therefore she owes him more right like it's just this open-ended thing of like once you kiss a guy, you have to go all the way and just keep doing things with him. Like, yeah, the level of entitlement from Spike, like, it's radiating off him right now. Yeah. And to say that he is the only person she has, right? You've got no one else. Like, get over yourself, Spike. I call him a little egocentric, misogynistic schoolboy. Because you notice in this episode, Cara, not just in the scene, but throughout the episode, he's basically throwing this tantrum because Buffy won't put out. So here he calls her a tease and he's not getting his way. So he he's like shouting this abuse at her right like it's only a matter of time till you're gonna want me it's only a matter of time till you realize that you don't have anywhere else to go i'm all you have like that's so isolating it's so scary what he's saying to her and what he's saying is what she has given him like you're saying right the two kisses it's not good enough for him not after his years of scheming and doing everything he possibly can to reach this end goal which is to get buffy in bed yeah yeah, so this this is just the first scene, everybody. It's just the first scene, and uh, that that's we're how not we even feel. at the credits yet. <laughs> we're not even, so we don't cut to the credits here. We cut to Willow, who is looking lonely in her bedroom because Tara moved out, and she starts talking to Amy the rat, and she's like, "What's the matter, Amy? You lonely? We need to get you a nice companion rat that you can love, play with, and grow attached to until one day they leave you for no good reason. Won't that be fun?" Willow, you are deluded. <laughs> like, <laughs> no good reason. No good reason, Miss Lethe's breath. She says, relax, Amy. I'm just kidding. I swear, if I could figure out how to turn you back. And then suddenly she just says, reveal And an ancient paper appears and she reads from it. And Amy, the rat, turns back into a human naked on Willow's bed and she starts screaming. Cut to credits. Remember Amy the Rat? <laughs> hey, Amy. It's been three years. <laughs> I find it very funny, but also it's kind of sad that Amy getting deratted after three years is like an afterthought to Willow. <laughs> it's like, like she, she, I mean, I get that other things have been going on, but all of a sudden she's just like, okay, you're not a rat anymore. You know? Well, again, where's Miss Kitty Fantastico? Did Tara get her in the breakup? Like, Oh, damn. We haven't seen Kitty Fantastico since season four. so <laughs> She must be Miss Cat Fantastico by now. We are at Sunnydale Museum, 
question marks um i think that's where we are and andrew is being lowered down on wires very like mission impossible like he's wearing black clothes and he's like pulling out this contraption to break the glass that holds a diamond inside it but warren and jonathan just walk up right behind him and warren's like dude what are you doing jonathan's like we're not breaking into langley here it's sunnydale so jonathan says well you never know when you need the stuff and it's better safe than sorry and Warren says the security system they have here is a guy named Rusty. So he pushes Andrew, who like swings a couple of times before he sets himself right. And he's like, okay, you guys quit jerking around. So Warren starts to break the glass using some fancy dancy equipment. Andrew and Jonathan are saying to themselves, like, how come he gets to play with the cool stuff? And Jonathan says, it's because I'm allergic to methane and you're still afraid of hot things. Besides, the tank kept making us tip over. So Kara, in this scene, um, just the fact that Warren kind of takes over here and Andrew and Jonathan are basically saying like he could do it and we couldn't. I think it's clear and it was more or less clear in the past as well. But here is very clear to me that Warren is the leader here, right? The other two yeah. are subservient to him. What, what I like about this is the way that Andrew and Jonathan are bickering to each other. Yeah, <laughs> like little boy <laughs> brothers. Warren gets the diamond and says, boys, congratulations. Phase one of the plan is complete. Let's get out of here. And as they're leaving, Rusty, the security guard, says, what are you boys doing? And Warren <laughs> Warren says, we're with a tour group, the get the freeze ray tour group. We must have gotten separated. And Rusty says, museum closed five hours ago. <laughs> Doesn't challenge them on the tour group thing. Poor, okay, poor Rusty, first of all. Like, he's obviously not paid enough. I also, I love, like, this would be my level of super villainry right here. Like, I would be right there with Andrew and Jonathan being, like, afraid of hot things and tipping over. And I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think I'd tip over. I'm too tall. But, like, like this is how incompetent I would be as a supervillain. So um, I'm really enjoying, like, this episode is so funny. Like, Buffy was funny in the first scene. And now we've got this episode, this, this scene where, like, I'm loving the jokes that everybody's cracking in this scene. This is a funny episode in addition to being a messy one. Yeah, the, the writing is uh, really on point in this episode for sure. So Warren's like, really? Guess we should just get the freeze ray out of here now. <laughs> and he looks at Jonathan and Andrew who are like, oh, oh, and they start getting in their, something out of their bag. And then Warren says, we love the learning, Rusty. Museums, libraries, the Disney Hall of Presidents. Not boring, but more to the point, goodbye. And Jonathan shoots Rusty with a, freeze ray and uh he freezes into ice very batman and robin uh the george clooney one in case anyone forgets and needs something to watch tonight go watch that movie <laughs> warren says that is so cool which is a pun and andrew says the freeze ray totally worked and jonathan's arm is completely frozen to the gun he's like not exactly so warren says okay that's just a kink right this is just a prototype and jonathan interrupts he's like yeah that's neat and all but in the meantime Ow, can we go back to the lair because I can't feel my fingers? Andrew asks asks about Rusty and Warren says, he'll be fine. He'll defrost in a couple of days. No harm, no foul. Andrew says, will he tell on us? And, and Warren says, say what? Two guys at a mime took me out with a freeze ray? That's not likely. Come on. So they go. 
We cut to uh, Willow's bedroom where Amy is wearing clothes and she flinches on the bed as Willow enters with a hot chocolate. Um, Amy declines the, the cho- hot chocolate. She says she's too queasy. Uh, she hears sirens outside and she uses magic to shut the window and the curtains. And Willow's like, it's okay. You're like, are you okay? And she's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just everything feels really weird. It's like I felt like I was in this cage for in that cage for weeks, but it can still be okay, right? I can still get into the swing of things. Prom's coming up. I was hoping Larry would ask me. We would make such a splash. And then she's looking at Will's expression and she's like, oh, oh God, he hasn't asked someone else, has he? <laughs> and Willow's like, Amy, three things we have to talk about. One, Larry's gay. Two, Larry's dead. And three, high school's kind of over. And Amy's like, how long was he in the cage? How long? And all right, a couple things about this. At first, I was really like, I was really not liking the performance of this actress as Amy. Like, I just thought it was a very strange delivery of all her lines. But then I realized it's because she's still getting used to not being a rat, <laughs> right? Exactly. No, I, I really like this. It's very clear that when she was a rat, it wasn't like she was a human trapped in a rat's body, right? Like, clearly, she has some memories of her time as a rat, but they're all jumbled up, and she doesn't really understand how much time has passed. Yeah, and then my other thought on it was that she's, like, she gets, like, really annoyed, right? Like, how long was I in the cage for? How long? And it's like, Amy, you put yourself in this position. Let's not forget Let's not forget in Gingerbread season three, when Amy abandoned Willow and Buffy, who were burning at the stake, and she just she just turned into a rat and took off, like saved herself, right? So let's not forget that, Amy. Buffy comes home, and she goes into Willow's room, and Willow's on her bed, and she says, how are you doing? And Willow's like, okay, not parades in cotton candy, but okay. And one way, Kara, one way that I know that Willow is not a monster just yet is because she is not wearing her shoes on the bed, unlike Faith, who 100% would be at this point. And um, Buffy sits on her bed and almost puts her shoes on the bed. And I was like, what is going on? Buffy sits down. She asks if she can talk to Willow about something. And Willow's like, of course. And Buffy says, well, you know how you how we all make choices. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they are less good. Lately, you don't say. <laughs> lately, I haven't. But that's when Amy comes out of the bathroom, and Buffy's really surprised to see her. And Amy's like, "The whole school by a giant snake thing, still adjusting." Hey, Buffy. And Buffy's like, "Hi. Uh, how you been?" And Amy's like, "Rat. You?" And Buffy's like, "Dead." <laughs> So Buffy says, uh, I should let you guys catch up. And Amy's like, no, no, stay. Do you have any cookies? And Buffy's like, what kind? And she says, any kind, not cheese. <laughs> Sorry. Are cheese cookies a thing? Uh, yeah, probably, right? Because you can have like cheesecake. Like, yeah, I feel like there's probably a, a, some sort of cheese cookie out there. I would eat it. I like cheese. <laughs> also, Amy... I really doubt that Willow was feeding you cheese this whole time. <laughs> You're probably eating pellets. Buffy says in the kitchen, Amy says she'll grab them. And Buffy offers to make up the couch for her uh, because, you know, it's late and she should stay over. Everybody does. And Amy's like, thanks and leaves. Well, I'm, I'm real. I would really hope so, because like, where would Amy go at this point? Uh, it'd be so funny if she was like, Amy, it's, you know, like, it's not a good time. <laughs> like, we need you to go. <laughs> I wouldn't blame Buffy one bit if she did say you can't stay because it's like you betrayed us. You left us to die. Okay. okay. Get out. What Amy did is fairly tame compared to 
what some of these Scoobies have done. That's fair, but she can't take it out on the Scoobies. She can't take it out on Amy. <laughs> like, Amy at this point is not as bad as Spike, right? No, absolutely not. Or not she's not as bad as Willow or Xander, who burned a man alive a few episodes ago. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I, I mean, say think what you will of Amy by the end of this episode. But in this moment... I think Amy's three years as a rad were enough penance for whatever she did that's fair. in seasons two and three, right? Like That's fair. Yeah. In fact, if more people could spend time as a rat in penance for their crimes, I would be behind those laws. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Uh, Prophecy Girls are advocating for magical punishments for crimes. <laughs> Especially specifically rat life. <laughs> Um, and actually, you know what? That's actually, I wish that could happen because it would save a lot of space and resources. <laughs> if every prisoner was just a rat. I, I, I just want to be clear that I am all about that prison abolition, including rat prisons. So I am not in favor of this. <laughs> okay, but could you, could you be in favor of rat prison being better than normal prison? <laughs> overall that would depend on the conditions of the prison overall no they're great it's like it's like a cage like like amy was in (laughs) like just just smaller i guess i just don't have faith that if we put the people currently in charge of prison systems in charge of rat prison that it wouldn't somehow be worse that's hey that's very fair in the world that i'm building here (laughs) it's 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 about spacing, and because they're rats, people, it's like not hard to take care of or keep clean, right? It's, just, it's way easier. People aren't hard to take care of or keep clean either. That's true. They largely do it themselves. Stop ruining rat prison for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Carry on. So Buffy says to Willow, wow, is she going to be okay? And Willow's like, I don't know. She's kind of freaked out. I would be too. I realized I could thought of the right thing and and boom like there's amy it's nice having another magically inclined friend around so what were you gonna tell me you were sounding all serious and buffy's like huh oh it, it's nothing the whole amy rat amy thing no way i'm topping that and she oh leaves. no no okay so buffy Cara... tried to come to willow and have girl talk and it didn't work this just really shows how these how far apart these two girls have grown right because they can't rely on each other anymore. There was a time where Buffy would go to Willow, maybe not right away, but when she did, she would pour her heart out to her, right? Like, me and Angel broke up. Faith killed a guy and I was there. Like, she she could go to Willow with these things. And to feel like she can't connect with Willow because Willow said she prefers magically inclined people and de-ratted people like Amy, um, because we don't know what happened to Michael. <laughs> Remember Michael from Gingerbread? Willow feels like, you know, she needed somebody like Amy around to fulfill her, right? And Buffy felt that. So Willow feels like she can't really speak to Buffy about what she's going through. And at the same time, Buffy can't trust Willow to be there for her either. And a lot of that is because of all the shit that she's done to Buffy since she's gotten back. Like, can we not forget that last episode, Willow was willingly trying to erase Buffy's memories of heaven? And like, we don't get a conversation about that. We don't get a fight or the comeuppance or like any discussion after that happened. Like, Willow, why did this happen? She's like, oh, I was just trying to erase heaven for you. That didn't happen. I I think as we're going to see later in this episode, Buffy does not want to talk about anything. Buffy doesn't want to talk about being in heaven. She doesn't want to talk about the possibility that there's something going on between her and Spike. Buffy doesn't want to talk about Willow and Tara. 
Buffy does not want to talk. So it doesn't surprise me that they're not unpacking it further together. And I think Buffy coming to Willow in this scene is more like Buffy trying to self-soothe than it is Buffy actually looking for Willow's counsel or advice. We'll never know, will we? Because Amy the Rat appeared and spooked them both. Something I also remembered that makes me sad thinking about this situation now that like Buffy can't talk to Willow or anybody and Willow is feeling while isolating herself from everybody as well. Uh, Remember at the beginning of season three when Giles pulled that Jedi move and tricked Buffy into confessing her deepest, darkest secret that she was holding in, that she killed Angel when he was sold, not when he didn't have a soul. And she confessed that to Willow and Giles at the end of that episode. And then she went right off and asked out Scott Hope on a date. Remember Scott Hope? That happened after she let out this big, dark secret And then she felt like she was ready to move on with her life. Like she felt better and that was good for her. And you notice this time around, she confessed that she was in heaven, like her her most recent big dark secret, but she doesn't feel that way. She doesn't feel like she can move on the way she Mm. did a couple years ago, whether that's because Giles has left, right? She confessed and Giles still left and because Willow betrayed her. And that just made me really sad when I thought about that comparison. Yeah. So let's go downstairs. Uh, Amy is sitting on the couch with a plate of cookies. Can you imagine if you're like, do you have cookies? And people are like, yeah, I just ha- baked a fresh batch like, <laughs> like downstairs. Go get them because <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> I, I mean, it's happened to me before. What? <laughs> Must be nice. Um, if I'm like, I want a f- I want fresh cookies. It's like, okay, make them your goddamn self, you know? So No, no, no. <laughs> so- I, I'm the one who's had, had the cookies freshly baked. Oh, what? Okay, I expect that when I see you at uh, at Thanksgiving. Of course. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not coming over unless there's freshly baked cookies, cheese cookies. Buffy asks, how you doing? Need anything? And Amy's like, no, thanks. Good cookies. Sorry about your mom. And you know what? Mm, Cookies. (laughs) Mm, Fashionic. Um, Okay. I really like that Amy took a beat and then she's like, sorry about your mom. You know, like, that's nice. And I felt Joyce all through this episode because I was like, none of this would be happening if you guys had Joyce here. So Buffy says thanks. Amy says, it's crazy all the things that have happened since I went away. Snyder got eaten by a snake. High school got destroyed. Buffy says, Gatorade has a new flavor. Blue. (laughs) Amy says, see, head spinning. People getting frozen. Willow's dating girls. And did you hear about Tom and Nicole? And she's obviously referring to Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's divorce. Thank you for filling me in. I didn't know oh, you didn't know? she was talking about. Ooh. Uh, Buffy is like people getting frozen and they watch a reporter on TV talking about the museum and the frozen security guard and the robbery. At the museum, Buffy is in the crowd outside watching the guard get pulled out. Uh, she's so short that she's like hopping <laughs> up and down trying to see. Uh, she does cut to the front at one point, but um, can't get through. So she walks to the side of the museum and that's where Spike is. Like she runs right into him. He's like, well, 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 look who decided to show up. And Buffy's like, what are you doing here, Spike? And Spike says, a man was frozen alive in there. A little compassion, love. You know, as long as you're here, we might as well... You might as well take along. As a team, we could. And Buffy says, that never really ends well, does it? And Spike says, it did the other night. And Buffy's like, you really seem awfully fixated on a couple of kisses, Spike. And here I was like, well, what do you expect, Buffy? He's the one that was snatching up your panties last season. Like, of course kisses would only fuel the fire. Spike says, and you're awfully quick to forget about them. And Buffy actually says, like, look, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry if you thought that it meant more. Spike's like, but? Buffy says, 
but when I kissed you, you know I was thinking about Giles, right? <laughs> and Spike says, you know, I always wondered about you two. And Buffy's like, what? Oh, gross, Spike. <laughs> she says, he left. I was depressed. Ergo vulnerability and bad kissing decisions. But that was all that it was. You have to let it go. And Spike says, did it work? Did you convince yourself? And Buffy says, please stop. And she goes to leave and he follows her. Oh my God, I'm getting flashbacks to Fool for Love. And says, a man can change. Buffy says, you're not a man, you're a thing. Spike grabs her and says, stop walking away. She says, don't touch me and punches him. And he punches her and she falls to the ground. So he feels no pain when he punches her though. He's like, what? Cause, so he has to like fake a headache. He's like, oh, oh, oh. so Buffy gets up and punches him to the ground and she says you're a thing an evil disgusting thing and she walks away leaving spike with thoughts and then he smirks evilly oh this is a tense scene like it's very charged um obviously there's violence what buffy says to spike the way she's like you're a thing an evil disgusting thing it's interesting to me because again i'm not trying to be charitable to spike here but I will say that I think that Buffy allows herself to go off on Spike more than she would other people in her life. And that's not a nice thing to do. That doesn't mean that she deserves any of the attention Spike is giving her, anything that Spike's doing to her. She does not deserve any of that as a result of her behavior. But I just, I, I, I think it's possible for us to critique how Buffy is dealing with Spike and say like, hey, Buffy, like the way that you treat Spike is not something that uh, is good for you, right? Yeah, I like the way you phrase that because really at the end, it's like, Buffy, you're better than that. You know, like I, I hear what you're saying. I think the way I see it though is once again, he just pushes past her boundaries, right? Like he was clearly waiting oh, yeah, there. Absolutely. He was clearly waiting there for her. She tells him to like, please stop. And he follows her. She talks down to him to the point where he grabs her. So again, like I see the escalation here and I get why Buffy's rude to him and why she punches him. Well, and your reference to Fool for Love is really, really you know, you're on it because this is basically a recapitulation of like, you are beneath me, right? Like she's very yeah. clearly refusing him here. She is saying no. And like you said, he's taking it too far. Absolutely. Yeah. and But that, then I do agree with you. I think there is space for us to examine Buffy's attitudes. I and... just think she should have staked him earlier, right? Like, just stake him and get it over with. Yeah. She keeps him. He's he's not wrong when he says that she keeps him around as a, as a vampire punching bag, right? Like, that is accurate. Yes. It just doesn't excuse his behavior as a result. But like... I, I think Buffy keeping him in her life just because it's useful to have somebody around that she can take her anger out on is not healthy for her because that's if you do that with somebody, you're not actually dealing with your anger, right? And so yeah. Buffy should stake Spike, kick him to the curb, get rid of him, and then go to therapy girl. <laughs> and like if the only way to get rid of this guy is to stake him, then you're right. Maybe she should just do it because we've been saying this for seasons. Or she could put him in rap prison. Or, or hey, that's what rap prison is for, Car. Are you finally coming around to my way of thinking? I, I, I mean, vampires, <laughs> I'm okay with putting it to rap prison. Like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just it's it, she's asked him to go before, right? She banned him from his house from her house before. 
Like she, she like he, he's not going. <laughs> like he, she told him, I never want to see you and Drew ever again in season two. And boom, he was back there in season three. So like this guy's not going. So just ugh, like he, oh. Spike is harder to cancel than a cable subscription, <laughs> right? So okay, so what's going on here? Spike is wandering the streets now because hey, he punched Buffy and nothing happened with his chip. So he's looking out all the people on the streets and he says, "Look at all the goodies." And he sees a woman checking her watch and then quickly walks down an alleyway. The woman's just like, "Oh man, whoever I'm meeting isn't here. I'm gonna walk down this alleyway." So Spike stalks her, right? He goes right up to her. And I was like, so much for being a changed man. You know what I mean? Like he just literally just said, a man can change to Buffy. And like, that's just poppycock. It's just it's shenanigans. It's 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 churlish hearsay. So Spike stalks up to this woman. She screams. And I honestly, Cara, I felt, I felt for this woman. I mean, I personally would not have walked down the alley, <laughs> but maybe she lives down there. I don't know. He says, that's right. You should scream. Creature of the night here. Yeah. Some people forget that. She thinks I'm broken. She forgot who she's dealing with. Just because she's confused about where she fits in, I'm supposed to be too? Because I'm not. I know what I am. I'm dangerous. I'm evil. And the girl's like, I'm sure you're not evil. <laughs> and he's like, yes, I am. I'm a killer. That's what I do. I kill. And yeah, maybe it's been a long time, but it's not like I forget how. You just do it. And now I can again. All right? So here goes. He vamps out and then he says this might hurt a little bit. And as he goes to bite her, the chip activates and he's thrown back and the girl runs away. And on the ground, Spike just says, what the hell is going on? So to me, this scene is a clear way for the writers to tell us, the audience, Spike is definitely still evil. He's conflicted, <laughs> sure, because he's been playing on the Scooby side for a couple of years now um, out of convenience and opportunity. But for the, anyone out there who, who doesn't want to listen <laughs> to that, this is the writers telling us that, yes, he is evil. Sure. Ah. <laughs> 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 I'm going to sentence you to four years in rat prison <laughs> for, for what you're about to say. I'm just trying to provide like some a different perspective. Um, what is evil, really, Steph? <laughs> We've had this conversation before. Is the, the chip is not just the soul, right? Like, we've had this convo. No, but like, <laughs> but like, Spike has spent the better part of two years now pretending to be good-ish with the Scoobies, uh, coming around to being uh, on the good guy's side. And now suddenly he thinks the chip isn't working. Like, we saw this last year when Drew was back in town, right? And he almost snacked on Harmony and or Buffy to impress Drew. So, like, I kind of feel like this is similar, where it's like, I think Spike is... I think Spike thinks he's still evil. Spike wants to think he's still evil. Spike wants... This is, like, Spike in his head right now is like, I'm a bad guy. I'm so bad. I can bad. do it. I can do it. I can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. This is him trying to convince himself that what Buffy said at the last scene was true. Because if he can convince himself of that, then he has an excuse for continuing to ignore her boundaries. If, on the other hand, he's unable to follow through on his being evil plan, then he may have to actually do some more, like, heavy, like, processing and maybe go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Very, very pro-therapy, as you can see. But, like... Do, do you see what I, I mean, right? Where it's like, I, I I don't know. Like, I can't, I don't really think I can say like, oh, Spike is evil or not at this point. 
I, I think that the the water is too muddy for me to make that determination. What I can say in this scene is Spike would like to think that he's being evil. Yeah, I I, I think he's evil. <laughs> I think he's a vampire that has been That's muzzled that, that for a long too. time. Just... Um, no, but what I'm saying is I think what you're saying is valid as well. And I think talking about the chip itself is a valid conversation and an interesting one. And Spike has always been an interesting character. Like he, he aggravates me and he's a pervert, but he is fascinating and he opens up this opportunity to talk about these nuanced conversations. So what you're saying is interesting. Another interesting way of looking at this is the way that he's kind of talking himself up to commit murder (laughs) again. Um, You can see it as him being like, I don't know if I, if I do this anymore because I'm my, my evilness is wishy-washy at this point, or is it his chronic fear just subconsciously that he's going to feel pain if he does it? So he has to psych himself up to, it's like, it's like if you're going to grab, it's, it's like if there is an electric fence and you know, you have to touch it to jump over and you've got to psych yourself up before you do it, just in case you might feel pain from that. Right. So that's how I see it as well. So I think it's just, it opens up a lot of doors for the way that you could view what he is going through at the moment. How, how how often do you have to jump electric fences, Steph? Uh, one time I was stuck in this dinosaur park and I needed to crawl over it to get out. And just as I was at the top, it turned back on and I fell and everyone was like, Timmy, no. Oh, wait, that's Jurassic Park. Sorry. <laughs> the next day, uh, Don and Tara are sitting outside together. Don is drinking from a giant milkshake. Uh, and Tara's saying, good God, that's a lot of shake. I mean, I know part of our big movie and milkshake fun day, but good God, that's a lot of shake. Again, Tara, so funny. Like, everybody in this episode is on it with the humor. Uh, Tara makes Don promise that she will eat something green tonight, but she specifies leafy green, not gummy green. Uh, Don giggles at that, and Tara's like, oh, the movie was fun. And Don says, yeah, it was ironic when those cute inner-city kids taught their coach a valuable lesson. My theory is that they went to go see Hardball, starring my husband, Keanu Reeves. I thought your husband was Angel. I have many husbands. (laughs) (laughs) I'm learning so much about you in this season of the podcast. Um, So would that be the the period-appropriate movie? Did that come out this year? Uh, Yeah, it came out in 2001. Well, there you go. There it is. Yeah, maybe it was on an extended run. I don't know how often Sunnydale gets new new movies. Uh, Tara says, you know, I'll always be there for you, right? Uh, There's actually more of a lead-in to that when I practice that at home. And Don says, I know. Tara says, I wanted you to know that my moving out had nothing to do with you. I will never stop loving you. And Don says, I know. Do you think you'll ever get back together? Tara says, I wish I knew. And Don says, but you still love her. Tara says, very much. It's just, sometimes other things get in the way. Don says, she's been doing a lot better lately, though. She's been really good about being careful about stuff. And Tara says, good. Great. It's great. Lies. <laughs> Liar. You are lying, Don. Um... I, I, I don't think it's a lie. I think this is Don's wishful thinking, right? Don is representing the situation as positively as she can to Tara because she wants Tara to get back together with Willow because they're endgame. Dawn is like, Tara, I know that she erased your memory twice, all right? But she's doing better. 
so you should get back with her. <laughs> That's what she's saying. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there there's so much to unpack here, right? Like part of it is the way that we program teenage girls to believe in compulsory sexuality and romance and happily ever after, right? And the idea that like, you know, if it's true love, people are meant to be together and they're going to get past every obstacle. And so I, I think Dawn, as a teenage girl, there's so much in her life that has shaped her to expect that Tara and Willow should be able to get past this. And she's really building it up in her mind as like, you know, they're so cute together. And, and we have to remember, right? Like she's now lived with them for the last, what was it? Like five months, yeah, which like is half a year. basically half her life at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I, hey, and I, I totally get where she's coming from. Like I get why she's trying to manipulate things to get them back together. It, it totally makes sense for wanting her to keep her chosen family back together, to, to keep them together. I just wanted to call it out. Be like, that's not true. <laughs> she, she's getting worse, if anything. <laughs> so we cut to the magic shop. Um, Willow, Xander, Buffy, and Anya are all looking into this frozen guard and robbery. And Willow is saying that the guard is alive, unthought, and unconscious. Anya is whining because she's like, oh, this is such a pain. The text I wanted. Giles took it with, with him. He has this thing where owning a book makes it like his property. <laughs> and Buffy asks if they should call Giles. It's like the middle of the night there. Maybe it's tomorrow. Anyone remember how that works? And Willow says, it's no big deal. We'll, we'll just do it another way. Uh, so Buffy starts to say, oh, we don't need to resort to. But instead of doing magic, Willow pulls out a laptop. And Buffy says, oh, hey, cool. And Xander says, all right, back to basics. A little old-fashioned, state-of-the-art hacker action. And Buffy's like, that's great, Will. I haven't seen you do this in a long time. And Willow puts her hand over the laptop, and it starts glowing. And she just stares at the ceiling. Clearly, she's using her magic to search the web. And Buffy says, I don't remember that part. And Willow says, it's quicker. It'll just take me a sec to go through the files. Okay, internal police report. A diamond was stolen from the museum last night. A big one, on loan from the British Museum. They're withholding information to smoke out the criminals. Oh, it's pretty. There's a picture. <laughs> so Buffy asks if the diamond is supernatural. Anya's like, maybe it's cursed. Diamonds are excellent for cursing. Willow keeps checking and Xander is uncomfortable with the magic use and says, well, I'm, I'm kind of beat. And I bet you that's tiring. And that, that you're doing that thing you're doing there. And Willow says, guys, I'm fine. What's the deal? And Anya's like, for crying out loud, this is bizarre. You're all la 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 with the magic and then not talking like everything's normal. When we all know that Tara up and left you. And now everyone's scared to say anything to you, except for me. <laughs> and, um, she asks Xander if this is the thing that she does that he comments on. And he says, yes. So Willow says, guys, it's okay. It's hard, but it's getting better. Little things just started taking over. Things that didn't matter. <laughs> but we saw them differently. So they got blown out of proportion. <laughs> this time away will help us sort through things, really. And Willow says, let's just keep working on this. I don't want to leave Amy alone for so long. Xander says, Amy, how is she adjusting? And Willow said, it's hard. It's it's a lot to take in. I keep expecting her to do ratty stuff. You know, like licking her hands clean, ripping newspaper, leaving little pellets in the corner. And this is my favorite line. Buffy says, let's definitely not leave her in the house for too long. <laughs> what do you think Buffy was implying? I'm like fucking dying here. That's like the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> it's great my question about this scene is 
Does Willow's magical use of her computer mean that she gets faster internet? Because the internet back in 2001 was pretty slow. So Yeah, for sure. I don't know if the magic would have sped things up that much unless it was also speeding up her Wi-Fi. I also, I also feel like she must be channeling Moloch the Corrupter, praise Moloch, in some way or form because he was the internet demon, right? So <laughs> he could also get information like that. She, she kept a spark of Moloch inside her back when they defeated him in season two, uh, season one. Lest we forget, he was her first love. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, dear. Um, no, I, I think this scene is showing like the tension that's starting to brew between the Scoobies, among the Scoobies, and Willow is clearly not okay. And clearly, like, no one, you know, did they even give her a slap on the hand for what happened in Tabula Rasa, or did was Tara leaving her enough punishment? Was that the rat I prison mean, I punishment? Mean that, yeah, that's a really good point. Like, I, I can forgive Buffy not, like, taking Willow to task, but... You're right. Like, everybody is pretending like it didn't happen, and it's really fucked up. Yeah. Also, what are the ethics here behind using magic to surf the internet, right? Like, like is it a bad thing? I think, I think obviously, the issue here is that she's using too much magic, right? She's right. using magic yeah, for I have everything. no problem with using magic to surf the internet. I just think that, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't know how realistically it's going to help you unless it's also speeding up your connection. <laughs> and i will say like she in this case she's using the magic to solve the crime right so she is she's not using it to her benefit we think <laughs> so uh the trio are in their lair admiring the diamond warren makes a size joke about jonathan and he says i think we finished the first part now it's time for phase two is the van fired up and as they're about to leave spike opens the door and enters the lair and the trio back up and andrew's like hello it's called knocking and spike backs warren up against a pole and puts his arm like behind him and like you know, he's like up in his face and he's like, knock, knock, robot boy. You need to look at my chip. And Jonathan says, is that like British slang or something? Because we're not. And Spike says, the chip in my head. And I was like, whoa, am I sensing some sporin action here? <laughs> With how close and personal Spike is getting to Warren right now. Um, I'm getting spat on flashbacks. I need you to look at my chip, robot boy. So, um... <laughs> We've been here before. Warren says, we're in the middle of something. And Spike says, you can play um, you can play holodeck and another time. Right now, I'm in charge. And Warren starts to protest, but Spike picks up the, an action figure on the side table. It's a Bobo Fett. And <laughs> Warren's like, what are you doing? And Spike says, examine my chip or Mr. Fett here is the first to die. And <laughs> he had to like read on the plaque that it was Bobo Fett's name. But I was like, Spike, we know we, you've watched Star Wars because you quoted Yoda like when we first met you. Yeah, but just because he's watched Star Wars doesn't mean he knows who Boba mm. Fett is. You are a Spike defender in this episode. Just let me make fun of him. <laughs> Jonathan says, hey, all right, let's not do anything crazy here. Jo Andrew says, that's a limited edition 1979 mint condition Boba Fett. And I was like, if it is mint condition, shouldn't it be in its packaging? Like, isn't that like Collector's 101? 
Correct, yes. <laughs> it's not mint condition. Yes. Warren says, dude, chill. You can still make it right. You know you don't want to do this. And Spike's like, what I want are answers, Nimrod. And Warren's like, you don't want to hurt the Fett because, man, you're not going back from that. You don't just do that and walk away. And Spike's like, right? Let's find out. And he makes this movement like he's going to break it and they're all like okay one sec one second and they go and they talk amongst themselves and angie's like dudes i think that's spike and jonathan's like of course it is and he's evil completely capable of removing that head and jonathan would know this because jonathan spent time with him in superstar remember mm-hmm. so warren says i'm gonna help him out and Jonathan's like, are you sure we can trust him? And Warren says, if we help him, then he owes us one. We get Spike on our side. We get info on Buffy. And we can find a way to keep her out of phase two. Andrew wonders if they can trust him. Warren says, of course not. But alliances aren't built on trust. He needs us. We need him. That's how things work. He is correct. Well, he's actually very correct. And as they're discussing this and they all agree, we see that Spike has been behind them and he's like tossing the figure up and down as he waits for them to talk. Warren comes over to him and says, I think we can work something out. I'll take a look at your chip. It'll be a deal. We scratch your back, you scratch ours. And Spike's like, I'm not scratching your anything. You do what I tell you. That's the deal, deal. Warren says, deal. Spike says, let's go. And he throws the figure back at Andrew and Andrew holds it. He's like, it's okay, it's okay. It'll be fine. So yeah, we have Spike and Warren, dynamic duo, back together again. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that Spike, such a good guy, (laughs) would go hang out with Warren. I know. Here's my question. How did Spike find where the trio's lair is? If it is indeed Warren's parents' basement, he <sighs> would have known to go there because that's where he gave Warren the robot Oh, yeah. Stuff. I yeah. forgot about that. You're right. I thought they were in a different location. You forgot about no, the I, Buffy I knew that bot? Spike had visited Warren's parents before, but I didn't realize they were... Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. So he knew exactly where Warren was. Good thing that Warren was home from school because clearly he would have been back at school if he hadn't dropped out. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, but if if that had been the case, Spike would have just had a lovely cup of cocoa with Warren's mom and then maybe had some afternoon delight because Spike (laughs) loves the older women. He surely does. He misses Joyce more than anything, I think, around this time. Willow comes home and Amy's like, oh, good, you're back. I thought you said you wouldn't be gone that long. Let's go somewhere. So Amy's starting to find her feet again. Willow says don't you want to go see your dad? And Amy says, no, can't. Not yet. Too many questions. <laughs> Willow's like, about where you were? And Amy says, no, about how I got there. I wish there was a way to make him forget about the last three years. <laughs> Trigger. Yep. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Willow's like, oh, well, hey, I can help you with that. Only you might want to sew your name into your clothes first or something. Too soon, Willow. Too soon. You cannot make a joke about that. <sighs> Uh, Amy says that she doesn't want to deal with her dad right now. She says, I think I'd be bored. Come on, let's get out of here. Willow says, what do you want to do? And She says, I don't know, something fun. Anything not involving a big wheel. Or maybe you'd rather sit home all night, alone, like in high school. So that triggers Willow, who says, no, you know what? I can have fun. Heck, I deserve some fun. Yeah, you do, says Amy. Uh, And Willow says, I can party. I don't owe anyone anything. I am totally free. So let's make with the fun. So here we see that classic manipulative Amy coming out, right? Like we saw that back in season two and season three where it's like, Amy's not a bad person, but 
I think because of her upbringing and some of her experiences, I think that she is one of those people, like Buffy was saying earlier in the episode, who makes a lot of bad choices. And she has a very manipulative personality. And shes I think she's read Willow really accurately. And she knows how to push Willow's buttons very easily. We know that Willow's so insecure about how people view her, right? Versus who she was versus mm-hmm. who she's become. So playing into that fact that like, oh, you're not going to be like high school Willow, are you? Or are you going to be like risky new Willow? So of course Willow's going to jump at that. So they're going to go party the night away. Uh, we cut back to Warren who's scanning Spike's head with some sort of machine. And there's like actually like a robot hand or like a doll's hand like lying next to Spike as he does it. Just a reminder, everyone, that Warren and Spike together created the Buffy bot. So cut to uh, Spike sitting next to Jonathan and Andrew waiting. And Andrew's like, you're English, right? I've seen every episode of Doctor Who. Not Red Dwarf, though, because... And Jonathan's like, it's not out on DVD yet. And Andrew's like, right, it's not out on DVD. (laughs) I I do really like how they're trying to make small talk with Spike. (laughs) I know, and Spike's just like, Warren! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Warren comes with the papers and the results and Spike's like, I help me out here, Spock. I don't read lose. I don't speak loser. Warren says, your chip works fine. And Spike's like, there's got to be something wrong with it. Warren's like, no, listen, like, I don't know what that thing does. I'd like to. And he kind of like has a moment where like he's like reaching for Spike's head. He says, but whatever it is, it works fine. There's no deterioration of the signal. It's still coming through with a steady pulse, which it's supposed to. Spike gets up and he's so much taller than Warren in this shot that I'm like, he must be on a box again. Like he was which in him and Buffy's first kiss uh Spike thinks this through and then says if you tell anyone about this and Warren's like who would I tell I don't even know what this is about and Spike's like it's about the rules having changed and as he's leaving he's muttering to himself everything's different now nothing's wrong with me there's something wrong with her and he's stalking out and he's like the big man on campus again he's all confident and this is a weird scene um the whole like Warren like is like I don't know what's going on. What does this chip do? Spike is like getting his confidence, his mojo back. He's like, there's something wrong with her. Again, I, there's a lot of Spike convincing himself that he's the bad boy here. Mm-hmm. Getting his swagger back. So we cut to Tara and Don who are coming home from their day out, uh, but no one's home. And Don says, "I'm sure they'll be back. They'll be back soon." I know Willow and Buffy were meeting up with Xander to do some research. And Tara's like, okay, well, I should get back. And Dawn's like, or you can stay and wait for them. Then you can get a chance to catch up with everyone. And Tara's like, I don't think that's such a great idea. And Dawn's like, okay, your call. I have the TV to keep me company until they get back. So Dawn turns on the TV. Wait, wait, we're going to leave Dawn alone? (laughs) I don't think it's a good idea, you guys. Dawn turns on the TV and says, you notice how it's it's been getting dark so much earlier these days? (laughs) talking cat tara says fine i'll stay but just until they get back and she sits down um next to dawn on the couch she's like i'm only here to make sure that you're not alone and this has nothing to do with anyone else and dawn's like sure cool up to you and she cuddles next to her so yeah everyone needs to stop manipulating tara okay everyone needs to stop it uh dawn knows that Tara probably feels guilty for leaving her alone and once more with feeling. And then she got kidnapped like immediately after Tara left the house. So of course it's going to be lingering on Tara's mind. And of course she's not going to leave Dawn home alone here. So that's why Dawn brought that up. But again, I can't stay mad at Donnie for long because she's trying to parent trap them, right? And that's, that's a brilliant movie and a brilliant move. She's trying to get 
Tara and Willow back together, even though it's very uh, misplaced, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. At the Bronx, we have a white boy band playing <laughs> as Willow and Amy play pool and talk about Xander being engaged. Uh, Amy's just like, it's so weird. What's she like? And Willow says, a thousand-year-old capitalist ex-demon with rabbit phobia. Amy's like, that's so his type. <laughs> Again, the dialogue, so good at this episode. Willow hits one of the balls, one of the pool balls, uh, with her magic rather than the pool cue. Like, Amy doesn't really comment on this, but you can kind of tell from the way that she's looking at what's going on that she doesn't care, right? Like, to her, it's like, yeah, like, use your magic. Uh, so then we have two guys, two Mitches. <laughs> we got a lot of Mitches this season. We are. Uh, coming up. And uh, Willow's ignoring them, of course, because she doesn't swing that way. But Amy's intrigued because it's been three years since she's had some action. Um, and one of the guys is whispering to her. So she says, we're going to go dance. Want to come? And Willow's like, no, you go. I'll keep an eye on our drinks. And Amy says, well, if you want something a little more your style, I'm sure we can swing that. And she gestures to two women across the room. And uh, Amy snaps her fingers and one of them turns and notices Willow and comes on over. So she introduces herself. And Willow compliments her top, uh, but then turns to Amy and says, thanks. No, I'm not. I'm still. And Amy says, like, she backpedals immediately. She's like, it's cool. She snaps her fingers again. This woman gets released from her spell. She goes back. And so what do you think about what's going on here? Because at this point, like, Amy put the mind control whammy on this woman, right? This is rapey as fuck. Um, my first thought is it's funny that the girl introduces herself as Brie, as in Brie Cheese. So, like, <laughs> I just thought that was a funny play on, like, the fact that Amy was a rat and <laughs> was talking about cheese earlier. <laughs> um, I don't know if that was meant to be or not. I just like to think it is. So what, what alarms me about the scene is, according to Willow, the only problem with the scenario is that she's not over Terry yet, which is why she cannot get with this girl. And it's not the fact that this is rape. That that's like, again, you are taking away someone's consent so that you could flirt with them or dance with them or whatever it is that that was going to happen. And that is scary and awful and wrong. And Willow, this like I, get, like, I think, what did I say at the beginning of the episode? I would rename this episode, Let's Make Things Worse. Like, <laughs> this is making it worse, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> this, is, this is really bad. No, so I, I agree with that. And I think that it's interesting that what we're seeing here is Amy is kind of on the same path as Willow, right? Like, Amy's cl clearly very comfortable just using magic whenever. And it's so different from the dynamic that Willow had with Tara, where Tara was more like, we only use magic when we absolutely need to. Yeah, I agree. So the two guys are just like, are we going to dance? <laughs> so Amy goes with them and starts dancing, or as Steph says in her notes, a man sandwich dance. <laughs> uh, and Willow's like sad, right? She's just been, you know blown off by amy <laughs> i'd be pissed honestly like i get that you know sometimes they're like yeah go dance with the guy like I, whatever i'm fine but um i don't know that's just me that's just me if i was out with my one friend it wasn't a group of us it's just me and my friend and then she went off well like for how, who knows how long i see it from both sides 
I think the problem here is Willow chose to go out with Amy, right? Like if <laughs> yeah. Willow had gone out with Buffy, Buffy would have been a great wing woman and would have stayed with Willow and they could have like talked, right? And Willow could have talked about her feelings. Willow chose to go out with Amy. Amy has been a raft for three years. This makes a lot of sense, right? Like Amy just wants to get out there. Amy just wants to have fun. Amy does not care about Willow's feelings. So like, I, I can't blame Amy. I agree with you. And I, and I think Willow would have any right, every right to be pissed. But I also like, what do you expect, Willow? This is who you brought with you. Also, as soon as people get out of rat prison, they do. They just, they just go nuts and they start dancing in man sandwiches with everybody. And that's just the way it goes. So I get it. I'm back to <laughs> no on the rat prison. That's a hard no for me. Thanks. Um, so some time passes. Willow's now drinking a martini and talking to her olive. So so are they of age? Like, are they 21 now? Or are they still 20? Um, I'm confused. They must be 21 because they were 16 in season one, right? Yeah. Or turning 16 in season one. So they must have like, they must be 21-ish now. I mean, maybe it's just a, a non-alcohol martini. Those things <laughs> exist, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything about drinks, okay? <laughs> um, so Amy catches up to Willow, and she's like, sorry for getting caught up. And Willow says, it's okay. And Amy says, if rats could dance, they probably wouldn't gnaw so much. <laughs> True. And the guys come back. The Mitches return. And they say, come on. We were just getting started. And Amy's like, I think I'm going to sit this one out. But the guys... Much like another guy in this episode, don't want to take no for an answer. Mm. Uh, so they, they, one of them grabs her and says, you can't just work us up like that and not. So Amy turns her back on them. She walks over to Willow. She's like, and then Willow's like, I think she said no. Um, and one of the guys says, nobody asked you, Ellen. And I got this reference. Oh, okay. Ellen DeGeneres is what they're referring to. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Willow and Amy look at each other and then amy looks back at them and says oh you want to dance and the other guy says that's all nice slow relaxing dance so willow and amy both use their magic and suddenly these two bitches are in cages suspended over like from the ceiling over the dance floor they're in highly decorative like male stripper underwear uh and they're dancing they're gyrating (laughs) and willow says Gee, and Amy says, "I think I do feel more relaxed." So, so you know, like when when they cast these spells, uh, one spell is green, one spell is red, but then they both did the same thing. <laughs> that was my first thought, and then my second thought was like, how do they both know what to do instinctively? Like, if you and I, Kara, were being accosted by some mitches, and we both thought, Here, "We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna get revenge," I don't think. We would do the same thing. You know what I mean? I feel like we would both think of different things to do to them. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're just that in sync. Um, I mean, one answer is it's just TV magic, right? Uh, the other answer is maybe they were using telepathy. We know Will is capable of doing that. Amy True. must be as well. Interesting. Um, uh-oh. So, yeah, this is them making it worse. So here we go. At the magic box, Xander is doing research with Anya and Buffy. He says, I found the villain. But Anya's like, that's a D&D manual, sweetie. And Xander's like, oh. And here's the thing. This worked in Stranger Things. <laughs> Stranger Things, this is, this is how they figured out the bad guy. So... Anya says, let's face it, we're not going to find this thing because it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a frost monster who eats diamonds. And Buffy's like, maybe he doesn't eat them. Maybe he just thinks they're pretty. I was like, that's 
fair, Buffy. Mm, diamonds. <laughs> right? That's fair because dragons hoard, right? If there was a real dragon, he'd be hoarding that treasure. Buffy closes her book and says, we suck. Xander says, we need new brains. Where's Willow? And Buffy says, out with Amy, I guess. Aunt Anya says, great, someone to do more magic with. And Buffy says, at least she's not all cooped up and crying. That's forward momentum. And I was like, I forgot. I forgot when Oz dumped her how sad she was and how the Scoobies were like, oh, this is the worst. Like Willow going through a breakup is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. So here they're saying the same thing. It's been like two days and they're like, well, she's not all crying. So this is great. (laughs) So Buffy says she doesn't know everything that happened with her and Tara. And Xander says, Tara thinks Willow's is doing too much magic and she's not the only one. And I was like, since when xander like i guess since the last episode but like or does he mean she's not the only one doing too much magic uh well i guess we don't know (laughs) i mean xander did a spell to get the to get sweet there right like maybe xander is also doing too much magic maybe this problem is much like wider spread than we thought it was well i think he is saying that like willow's using too much magic because putting emphasis on willow's magic use takes away from the fact <laughs> that he used that xander is actually a really powerful warlock at this point <laughs> and nobody knows a man witch um <laughs> so um buffy says i think she'll be fine it's willow she's of the level head and i was like oh buffy like you've been on the receiving end of so much of Willow's out of control spells right now that like giving her the benefit of the doubt is you don't have to, you know, like the evidence is clear. Anya says, those are the ones that you have to watch out for the most responsible types. And Buffy's like, right, she might go crazy and start alphabetizing everything. And Anya says, I'm serious. Like responsible people are always so concerned with being good all the time that when they finally get a taste of being bad, they can't get enough. It's like all kablooey. And Buffy's like, that's not true. And Anya's like, okay, not kablooey. More like, bam. (laughs) And Xander says, it's human nature, Buff. Willow's getting a taste of something powerful, way bigger than her. And Anya says, she was getting out of control of it before Tara left. Now that she's gone, and Xander says, it's got to be seductive. Just getting into it, getting totally wild. We need to keep an eye on her. Buffy is getting more and more uncomfortable because clearly... She's relating this conversation to her recent decisions in making out with Spike. Well, this is what I was referring to earlier when I was talking about Buffy really doesn't want to have this conversation. And and I agree with your reading of it. And just to add to that, like, I don't think Buffy is in a headspace where she wants to deal with Willow being fucked up. Yeah. She's like, I've already got enough to deal with at the moment. Like, I cannot deal with this. Yeah. like, Like, Buffy in this, she's so resistant to what Anya and Xander are saying to her. And I agree with you. I think part of it is because it's related. It, she's relating to her situation. But it's also just like, Buffy's like, can I not just catch my breath, please? Can we not be in crisis mode, please? And here it's, and so she, she's willfully ignoring Willow's issues because to open herself up to this conversation would mean admitting that she should help her friend in order to be a good friend and she doesn't have the spoons for that and like i i really sympathize with buffy in this moment but at the same time it's like oh buffy oh buffy 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 i think it's funny too that she's like okay yeah like she went through a breakup but she's not crying so it's not my problem and then i was like no no it's way worse than that she's addicted to magic and buffy's like no are you sure (laughs) like (laughs) i think it's okay exactly (laughs) so okay but there is truth in what anya is saying here about responsible types or whatever because like i actually like i know a handful of people who 
were, you know, straight A students in high school and just like didn't go out and party, stayed home and studied. And then as soon as they got to university and were out of the house and living alone for the first time, they go fucking nuts, you know, and like as they should, like good for them. But um, it's like it's like night and day with like what the experience at that point, you know, that that was me when I bought my own house and I was living on my own. Right. And like literally nobody to supervise me have the space entirely to myself. I'm just like, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I'm an adult and I can make my own choices. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, And also like liberating. So there's truth in that. And um, I also found this interesting. No, like we got to keep an eye on her. We're going to keep an eye on that willow. No one's doing anything. No one wants to. It's too awkward for them. Right. And it reminds me of what Buffy said in Earshot. She said, every single person down there is ignoring your pain because they're too busy with their own. Right. Mm, so this has come yeah. right back because it's Great like, it, it, it's just so true. It's like Xander's dealing with the fact that he proposed to his girlfriend and now he has to follow through. And Buffy is dealing with the fact that she is depressed and traumatized and doesn't know how to fill the void that's left there. And she's like, well, I've been making it with Spike. What does this mean? So like, they're just like, I just can't, I don't have space also, for Willow. Like what you're saying. Just shout out to Anya because of all the people in the Scoobies, Anya would be the one who knows about magic addiction, right? Maybe Giles, but he's not there. Like, Anya, as a vengeance demon, has interacted a lot with women, and especially, I imagine, she's probably interacted with witches who maybe called on her to work, um, you know, work some vengeance that they themselves couldn't work. And so, like, Anya probably has seen these signs in women before that she's been around. She knows what's going on, and they would be wise to heed her words but this is the problem is because Anya doesn't always come off the right way unfortunately the rest of the Scoobies tend to dismiss her even when they should be paying attention to her yeah I agree Buffy says okay we'll keep an eye on her but we we can't just assume that everyone's getting seduced sometimes (laughs) so the phone rings and interrupts that thought. So Buffy goes to answer it and Spike. And this is such a funny scene. Spike's like, Slayer. And Buffy's like, Spike? <laughs> and he's like, meet me at the cemetery. 20 minutes. Come alone. And he's trying to be his like evil, like, <laughs> like big bad self. And Buffy's like, Spike? <laughs> so Spike's like, bloody hell. Yes, it's me. <laughs> this is so funny. Like I was dying yeah. as I watched this scene. <laughs> Buffy's sofa. Spike? <laughs> okay, when he says meet me at the cemetery, I was like, what cemetery, Spike? Be specific. Right? Which one? I had the on. same thought. There's 12, There's so Spike. many. There are 12 cemeteries at Sunnydale. <laughs> so Buffy says, you're calling me on the phone? <laughs> and Spike's like, just be there. And Buffy's like, why are you helping again? And then she's like, oh, you, you got a lead on that frost monster thingy? And Spike's like, something like that, yeah. Okay, and she, she says that it got a lead on the frost thingy because she's trying to throw off Anya and Xander. Um, but it's also really annoying because Spike says something like that, yeah, because again, he's referring to Buffy. He's alluding that Buffy is the frost monster, that Buffy's the frost queen, right? Which is what he called her earlier, well, ice queen. What I love, right, is Spike is trying to be so, like, clandestine and, you know, he he didn't want to let on who was calling her. He, he, you know, 
and Buffy's refusing to play into it at all. She's she's <laughs> refusing to play along. She's just like Spike, and she's like, "Why are you calling me?" And, like he wasn't expecting the conversation to go beyond me be at the cemetery twenty minutes. Come alone, <laughs> click. He should have hung up at that point. Um, Buffy is like completely stepping on his bit, and I love it because Buffy doesn't. She hasn't for a long time seen him as a threat at all. Like seen him as serious at all. That's why she's just like, what? Spike. <laughs> so Spike says. Oh, I thought you might be up for a little grunt work. And Buffy's like, what? No, no grunting. And again, it's Buffy who's sleeping to these sexual conclusions, right? This is, And Spike picks up on that. And he says, I was talking shop, love. But if you've got other ideas, you, me, cozy little tomb with a view. And Buffy hangs up on him. And Xander's like, what does Captain Peroxide want? And Buffy's like, nothing. He just wants to see if I want a patrol for the monster. But I told him that I would not. We cut to outside the shop. Anya is locking up and uh, Anya, Xander, Buffy are walking down the street. Buffy's saying, I'm telling you, I think there's something about this thing. And Xander's like, I don't know, Buff. It seems like we've been through every book. Anya says, even the ones that weren't so boring, you wanted to kill yourself. And Xander says, we have those. Again, Kara, believe Buffy, people. Can you please just believe mm-hmm. Buffy for one fucking second? Can we make a t-shirt that says that? But we need to believe Buffy. When she says she has a feeling. So Buffy says, I'm just saying all the things that have happened lately, the bank robbery, jewelry heist, and Xander's like exploding lint. Now he's making fun of her. Uh, he makes it worse, doesn't he? So just like I said, the beginning Shut up, of the episode, Xander. Shut up, Xander. Buffy says, is it me or all these things really? And Anya's like lackluster. I, I put that word in because she used mm-hmm. the term we're not using anymore. It actually makes sense that the Scoobies are calling out the evil right now as non-threatening, right? Because we're thinking about like, so yes, Buffy is catching on to the things that the trio are doing to her. They're all admitting that like, okay, well, these attempts on whatever they're doing are, you know, they're not your usual level of evil. And I think it makes sense that they're pointing this out because I'm noticing from this episode, from this episode, this is episode nine in the season that the trio are not the big bads of the season, right? They want to be, but they're not. And perhaps the big bads of the season are the more internal things that are happening in the Scooby gang, right? Which is actually yeah. quite fascinating to me. I didn't expect that to come out as I was rewatching, but I, that's what I'm actually uh, liking. I think that's a really interesting way to go about the season. Well, it's kind of like how it's kind of like how the master wasn't the big bad of season one, right? It was a pool of water. <laughs> yeah, of course. It was um, the sewer. The what did we used to call them? They're they like the sewer ponds, like that they have down there. Um, yeah, but Buffy's depression, right? Will's addiction, like these are the big bads, and that's that's fascinating. So Buffy says, "I was gonna go with unusual, but I'll do a quick patrol tonight, and after a good long sleep, we can solve this tomorrow." And Anya's like, "Optimism, I remember optimism." And, Z- and Xander says, "That's because you're like a thousand. And I was like, "Boo, age gaps, boo." I ne- I'm not gonna talk about it right now. I've already I've already ranted about it, but like, I hate age gap conversations. I'm sure there'll be more TikToks in the future. Oh. So they all bid each other goodnight. And this is the last time we see uh, Xander and Anya in this episode. Bye. (laughs) Buffy walks down an alleyway and Spike comes up to her and says, Slayer. And she says, so my night is now complete. And Spike says, you never showed. (laughs) She just blew him off. And Buffy's like, sorry, was a little busy actually doing stuff. And Spike says, you shouldn't be so flip, love. And Buffy says, what are you going to do? Walk behind me to death? (laughs) 
Why is Buffy so funny in this episode? Like, she is on fire yeah. with the one-liners. Buffy is my fucking hero. Um, Spike says, I'm just saying things might be a little different and you ought to be careful. He's so sure of himself too, right? Like, he's building up to this big dramatic reveal. Well, he's egotistical. Like I said earlier, um, he stands in front of her and she's like, enough. But he won't move. So she says, get out of my way. And he's like, or what? So she punches him and then he punches her right back. And when she looks at him, he's just like, oh, the pain, the pain is gone. Guess what I just found out? Looks like I'm not as toothless as you thought, sweetheart. Buffy says, how? He says, don't you get it? Don't you see? You came back wrong. Ugh. And Buffy ha- like has this shocked look on her face. Oh, Kara, I hate this. I hate this. So, so like, poor fucking Buffy. Mm. She already feels, like, not herself since she got back. She's traumatized from what she's gone through since she got back from heaven. And Spike is digging the knife in when he says, you came back wrong. He knows exactly what he's doing. This is abusive. Mm-hmm. This is emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. And plus, he's, you know, being physically abusive as well. Do you remember how Buffy felt about the resurrection spell in Forever that Dawn was trying to do after Joyce's funeral? Mm -hmm. She was told by Tara and she told us to Dawn, people come back wrong when you do this spell, right? So this is on her subconscious. This is what she's thinking. Spike is literally preying on her deepest, darkest fear. Oh, Oh, you fuck. I hate you so much. It's so fucking brutal. Oh, so... That was a commercial break. Dun, dun, dun. We cut back. Buffy is beating Spike the fuck up. And he punches her again. And she says, it's a trick. You did something to the chip. And Spike says, no trick. It's not me. It's you. Just you, in fact. That's the funny part. So he punches her again. And he says, you're the one who's changed. That's why this doesn't hurt me. Came back a little less human than you were. And Buffy says, you're wrong. And Spike says, then how come you're so spooked, love? How come I can? And he punches her and says, do that. And Buffy says, you're wrong. And then they keep beating each other up. Uh, They end up going into some sort of abandoned building. Meanwhile, at the bronze, the boys are still dancing in their cages. Amy and Willow are watching the balcony and they're basically like taking turns trying to like impress each other by casting spells on the whole crowd. Um, so people are now in costumes, there's sheep everywhere, somebody's, like, floating, uh, one guy grows really tall, one guy gets really short. <laughs> well, I was like, you know this music, and changes the band from, uh, a, a white boy band to a pop punk girl, uh, singing in, like, an all-girl band. Uh, it's just, it's, it's c- c- Complete chaos. Um, if we cut back to Spike and Buffy, who are beating the shit out of each other inside this abandoned house building, is what I put because it's like it's like it's like furnished, right? There's like it looks like um, a sitting room, but it's like in, in the alleyway. It's like a, clearly not a residential area. So whatever. Spike says, "Poor little lost girl, doesn't fit in anywhere. She's got no one to love." <gasps> and Buffy says, "Me." I'm lost? Look at you, you idiot. Poor Spikey. Can't be human. Can't be a vampire. Where the hell do you fit in? And they keep fighting. Buffy says, your job is to kill the Slayer, but all you can do is follow me around making moon eyes. And Spike says, I'm in love with you. And Buffy says, you're in love with pain. Admit it. You like me because you enjoy getting beat down. So really, who's screwed up? And 
Buffy, you might be onto something with that, right? And I think we talked about this with Lily in our last episode that um, mm-hmm. Spike likes to get stepped on. Like that's his thing. That's why he's attracted to women like yeah. like Buffy. And, and again, nothing wrong with that if that's your kink. Just don't be abusive to people. Yeah, just don't fucking abuse Buffy Summers. Thanks. Spike says, hello, vampire. We're supposed to be treading on the dark side. And he throws Buffy into a wall and he picks her up and he throws her across the room and says, what's your excuse? She throws him across the room and they keep fighting. And as they're fighting, we see them like they're, they're like tearing up this building, you know? Back at the bronze, Willow and Amy are bored, right? So Willow says, we've kind of played this scene. So she just says, return. And everything goes back to normal. No one seems to remember what happened. Willow says, I just keep thinking there's got to be someplace bigger than this. And Amy says, besides, it's way too early to go home. Willow's magic has really leveled up in this episode. Like, do you remember when it used to take a whole episode for her to do one spell and she had to, like, invoke a goddess and, like, gather all these ingredients and stuff? And now it's she's just zapping like, pew, things pew, pew, Sabrina pew. the Teenage Witch <laughs> style? Yeah. 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 Um, maybe it's because Amy's with her and they just go ham. I, I, I don't know. Um, so Amy's serving a specific purpose here. Like, I think in a lot of ways, the way that, like, Spike has been leading... Buffy toward the dark side as best as he can. We got Amy here doing the same thing for Willow, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, things are just getting worse, right? They're making worse and worse decisions. Cut to Spike choking Buffy and laughing about it. He says, I wasn't planning on hurting you much. And Buffy says, you haven't even come close to hurting me. And he says, afraid to give me the chance. So Buffy throws him against the wall and we start seeing cracks up here, right? So the the, the metaphor, of course, I'll just say it now, is that the the building is cracking and breaking down as Buffy's life is crashing down around her, right? I think that's pretty obvious. Buffy finding out that she came back wrong is like this final piece of information that she needs to kind of give up entirely and give herself over to the darkness, which we're about to see, you know? Mm-hmm. As Spike says, you're you afraid I'm gonna, and Buffy kisses him like really aggressively. <gasps> like super aggressively and they start making out and they're backing <gasps> each other into walls violently no, and, no. and there's cracks in the walls more and pieces of the ceiling are falling down. It's super dangerous. They should leave. Um, <laughs> um, they move from wall to wall, straddling each other. <laughs> Buffy straddles his hips, right? And we hear a zipper unzipping <gasps> and Buffy lets out this big grunt and suddenly they're both staring at each other in surprise or shock or disbelief or whatever especially spike he's like what in the what and clearly buffy has put his pee inside her v and she starts grinding up on him and oh no kara they are having wall sex and the music changes too it's like this it's is like someone like like moaning like humming i don't know this is what they call hate fucking right yes this is a good hate fuck um this is worse than the bite sex. Mm, I agree with you. Uh, do you want to elaborate on that? So I, I, I'm just thinking about this now because you made me rewatch the bite sex scene today because I had to do a clip for you. Nice. <laughs> and I, I, I'm watching it. I'm just like, I still don't like this. But at least the bite sex thing was like, how do I put this? Buffy was having bite sex with Angel to help him out and save him and she had this like deep feeling for angel and i mean when you think about it right that was probably the closest she and him could get to having 
sex that didn't turn him evil other than of course the day that never happened and i will remember you mm-hmm. whereas this hate fucking bringing the house down it's <sighs> again i don't want to be too hard on buffy right now because i understand you know intellectually obviously i don't understand myself but like i understand that when you're hurting like buffy's hurting and when you feel isolated and alone you're gonna make bad decisions and sometimes those bad decisions mean sleeping with a boy that maybe you shouldn't sleep with right so like i i think that what the writers are doing here how they're choosing to portray buffy kind of giving in to spike in this moment i think all of that's very realistic and i don't want to be too harsh on buffy for making that decision so i'm trying i'm trying hard as i talk about the scene not to judge buffy too much but at the same time there's a part of me that's watching this and just be like buffy come on buffy it's spike if i mean if i think of myself as like buffy's younger older sister because right now i'm older than her but when this came out i was younger than her um i'm like girl just you know you just need to get a bottle of wine sit on the couch with your girlfriends and watch the first wives club and that's that's what you need <laughs> like don't don't yeah hate but this guy see i i i know and i i'm sure you've also known people like this right like i i have had friends who have been basically in buffy's situation where they choose to be with a guy who's absolutely trash for them also either abusive or borderline abusive because that is easier for them to deal with than dealing with their trauma, right? Like, of everything that happens in this episode, this part actually makes a lot of sense to me. That doesn't make it any less painful for us to watch, though. It's painful for me because I honestly think, and you, hey, you might have different thoughts on this, but I think that if Spike hadn't told her that she came back wrong, I don't think she would have slept with him. And that's why it's hard for me to watch because I think he successfully manipulated her with saying that. Like he knew what he was doing. When yeah, he no, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. Spike has definitely manipulated her here. Yes. So that's why it hurts. Like I'm like I, I don't want to judge her, and I don't, I don't really. I think I told. I think it totally makes sense why she did it because he drove her to do this. Um, and she, yes. she's yeah, allowing that's what herself. I'm is- yeah. Yeah, th- this makes total sense, but it doesn't make it any less uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree. Like, I'm not cheering. I'm not being like, yeah, Buffy, you know, get your rocks off. Like, get it, no, girl. Like, no, no, no. That's not, not in this how case. I feel, right? I, I feel icky and uncomfortable. But at the same time, that feeling of ickiness and uncomfortableness doesn't mean that I, I'm trying to, like, chastise and be down on Buffy. No, I think, honestly, if she had done this with somebody else, you know, that wasn't Spike it would be a different conversation. It's it's the spike of it all that makes it uncomfortable for me. So yeah, so they, they hey, they have sex, the house breaks down around them or the building or whatever. And at one point they fall down this like hole and she lands on him and then it cuts to black. I was like, ouch. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that would really hurt. Um, okay, I think, I think what I want to talk about here is the sex scene itself because I know a lot of people find the sex scene hot. <laughs> Do we have to? We do. We have to talk about it. Because like you said, compared to the bite sex, 
you don't like this as much. And I think a lot of people might be like, the body sucks gross, but this is hot. That's fine, right? Hey, if you, if you think this is a hot sex scene, good on you, right? It's very explicit. Just to be clear, I don't think the bite sex is hot. <laughs> yes, I you do. That's, that's exactly what you said. <laughs> I don't think this is hot either. I just think the bite sex is more defensible No, No me. need to go back and re-listen to what we said uh, in season three. Kara uh, definitely loved that stuff. But <laughs> this is the most explicit sex scene that we've seen yet on this show. But I think it's very important that we make it clear that... We don't want to be romanticizing this in any way, okay? Like, you can watch this scene and be like, that's hot. Spike's hot. Buffy's hot. They got it on. The building broke down. That's hot. That's that's fair if you think that way, right? But the sex is not about love. And I think a lot of the time, people who hype up the Buffy and Spike relationship forget that this isn't romantic at this point. This is about lust and power and control. It's escapism for Buffy. Spike thinks he loves her. He thinks he loves her, but this this is not about love. He wouldn't be doing these things to her if he loved her. He wouldn't be telling her right. that she came back wrong and that she belongs in the dark with him and that she, you know, she's isolated, she's all alone, he's all she has. That's not something that you do when you love somebody. Right. And Buffy is continuing to echo that feeling that she had in Once More With Feeling when she said, she sang it, this isn't real, but I just want to feel. Can we also talk about the parallel between Buffy and Tara in this season, where it's like both of them are now being abused by somebody who thinks that they love her? Right? Right? And it's it's scary how Spike's he's this whole episode, he's been pushing her further and further into the darkness. He finally found the, you know, the, the knife point that he needed to hit for her to finally sleep with him after years of waiting but it's sad to me and it makes me feel really sad for Buffy because he's not helping her pain she feels like maybe doing this is going to help fill a void or help her feel something but it's not helping her it's it's just elongating that pain for her so I just really wanted it to be clear there that while Buffy is losing herself in Spike this is a product of her recent trauma and her depression. It's not a product of something good or pure that's happening between them, right? Buffy isn't like, I'm giving into my feelings finally after all this time of me pretending I don't like him. That's not what's happening here. So I think, again, you can think this sex scene is really hot and you can watch it in the comforts of your home. <laughs> uh, but it just makes me sad for Buffy and because it's not romantic and it doesn't have to be romantic, but... The mistake that people make when they say this is like the beginning of something big for them. It's the beginning of something big, but not something good, you know? Yeah. Who's your hero? <laughs> I picked Tara. Tara's being Mama Bear. Tara's the only yeah, one. Yeah, so this, this episode is interesting because it doesn't actually end, but it's also, it doesn't say to be continued, right? Uh, no. But like, there's no resolution in this episode. It ends with Willow and Amy still out on the town. And Spike and Buffy fucking. Tara's still at home with Dawn. Like, nobody told Tara that she's on babysitter duty all night, but apparently. Tara's just like, I guess I'll stay. I had a, you know, a date or I had like something else to do, but okay. So I agree with you. Tara is the hero of the episode 
if only because she's the only responsible adult we've seen on this entire show since Giles left. Absolutely. And whoa, we miss Giles. You know what? Giles is also kind of my hero for being like, this sucks and leaving. Um, but yeah, I give it to Tara because she is just doing what she's got to do. She's, is she's Tara solid. our hero of the season? Like, I feel like we've been leaning on Tara as our hero quite a lot so far this season. I mean, she's just, I'm holding, I'm holding on to Tara why is she not episode. a main cast member? Come on, Josh. Come Weaver. on, come on. So before we get to our hot stakes, can we talk a bit about Spike again? Oh, fine. I'm so over him. I just it's because we talked about this a bit in the last season. Do you remember when we when we covered Fool for Love? And we asked ourselves whether the writers were gonna be considering a redemption arc for Spike. If that is the case, it definitely hasn't started yet. Right? Because this is not redemption, what he's doing in here. Like he Right. immediately tried to murder an innocent woman as soon as he thought his chip wasn't working. What we're seeing in this episode is all his plans and efforts since season five coming into fruition because he used and he discarded Harmony the way that he got in with Buffy's friends. He befriended Joyce and Dawn all in a way to get Buffy to like trust him. He played a big role in breaking up Buffy and Riley. Remember after mm-hmm. Riley left, he belittled Buffy's appearance and like made fun of her ability to hold a relationship, right? And like told her she wasn't a normal girl. Mm -hmm. Like he did all this stuff to her and this is him succeeding finally, right? He's gotten so far under his his skin. She's at her most vulnerable and isolated than she ever has been. And he slipped his way in. Yeah. I, I just really wanted to note that here because like, again, like this episode showcased that in his character. And I think if we're going to keep talking about Spike's redemption arc that may or may not happen later in the series, we can certainly say it hasn't happened yet. Like he's done some good things, but as we've said in the past, abusers can be nice and abusers can do kind things. Doesn't make that many less of an abuser. I agree. I don't have much to add. I'm tired and I have a feeling we're going to have a lot more conversations about Buffy and Spike in this season. So I'll wait for that to happen. Plus, we have some hot stakes that I think are going to help us out here. Let's get into it. Uh, So our first hot stake is from, um, I should have asked you for your pronunciation. I'm sorry, listener. Belgea? And, oh, it's from Instagram. Okay, this is all on staff then. Um, (laughs) They want to talk about Willow, which is great because this was very much a Willow episode. And specifically about the episode Flooded. And so they say, I have some thoughts on the head-to-head between Giles and Willow that I think would shock you. Okay, okay, Mm -hmm. bring it on. As someone who relates very heavily to Willow, I think I tend to bring a lot of my own baggage into her analysis, but I also think that I have perspective on her character. Since late season five, Willow has had to take more of a leadership position, making tough decisions and flexing her power when need be, which is a huge leap in her development. I think it's fair to say that Willow may be a little self-assured, but is that really unearned? She has put a lot of work into her magic and accomplished several feats of strength that we've never seen done by anyone else in the Buffyverse. So the fact that Giles comes back after essentially giving up on Sunnydale to call her an arrogant, an amateur, like, it gets on my nerves. When Giles talks to Willow, it seems like he's seeing season one Willow, maybe season three at a push, and seems to think that he's still the authority figure with power over her, uh, when likely like his level of magic has never even approached hers. And then he has the audacity to say that he would have stopped her 
when, let's be honest, if it had come down to it, she would have gone ahead regardless. I know what it's like to have authority figures breeze back into your life and assume that things will go back to how they were instantly. Maybe Willow made a bad decision. Maybe it was rash. Point still remains that everyone, including Giles, is benefiting from her bad decision and the power that they think she doesn't have. Someone has to be cutthroat or no one would survive in the long run. What really pisses me off is that Giles should know this. He's incredibly similar to Willow in both his arrogance and his need to make morally questionable decisions, but instead of trying to relate to her, he berates her as if, she ha as if he has any kind of authority anymore, when in actual actuality, he's just as messed up as she is. I will not defend everything that Willow does this season, not by a long shot. But I need everyone to stop treating Willow as if she is doing this cluelessly when it's clear that she evaluated the situation and knew herself to be strong enough to do what no one else could, and that treating her like a bad puppy or a child to be scolded is the fastest way to piss her off and have your opinion disregarded. Oh, that was a long one, but I thought it was important to go through all of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> go off. <laughs> go, you know, like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that I agree entirely with you. I think you've made some really good points. I think I agree with you that that's like, yeah, Giles isn't seeing Willow as a grown up yet. But the point that you made about Giles having these similarities to Willow and his rank, arrogant, amateurish use of magic from his youth, right, which we know about from the, the past, like, maybe that's why he's coming down so hard on her, right? Because he has that perspective. He has that hindsight. You know, a lot of people have come to Willow's defense in social, on our social media comments. Like, I made a couple of TikToks about Willow, and people are just like, you know what? Willow's got to do what she's got to do, you know? And, like, so we have Willow defenders out there, and I think that's valid. But I'm kind of with you on this, Kara. Like, um, what we're missing here in this analysis is Willow's arrogance, right? And I think the fact that she didn't include Giles in the planning, she kept it hidden from him on purpose and then bragged to him after it happened, I think that plays into why Giles lost it on her. Yeah. So thanks for writing in. Our second hot stake is from Bridget, who says, In season five, the two of you discussed the similarities between Riley and Spike. We did. Um, <laughs> at points, they both wanted and asked for Buffy to get physically aggressive with them as a show of passion. She refused. But as you have pointed out before, Buffy is actually quick to use violence when it's directed at people she is passionate about. We saw it with Dawn, can't remember exactly which episode, but and before that with Angel when he was helping Faith. I know you brought up how she didn't care enough about Riley to get aggressive, but I don't think you made the comparison between him and Spike and Dawn and Angel. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like this because, again, it, it gets to the heart of this episode, right? Which is the way that because Buffy lives so much of her life in combat and violence, and, you know, I think it it reminds me of Faith's comments about being hungry and horny after she fights and how Faith really confused violent sex with an expression of her power and stuff. And she tried to kind of project that onto Buffy and Buffy was like, that's not for me. I, I don't know. I just I really like Bridget bringing up like the differences in how Buffy has treated her different partners and the fact that Riley was so insecure about how vanilla he was. But maybe that was actually exactly what Buffy needed at that point. Yeah. And I think also pointing out that like she goes to bat for Dawn and Angel, but not Riley and Spike is just really hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, probably. Well, and also it makes me think about how like if... 
less vanilla sex. If kinkier sex is what Buffy needs in this moment as something to help her cope with the the challenge of being alive again, but feeling numb to the world, how much better would it have been if she could get that from a partner who actually loves her and cares for her and isn't abusive to her, right? And, and I, I think that's... I said I wasn't going to talk about this, but I guess I, I am. Um, I, I think that's where, what I was getting at earlier. I think you were getting at this too, right? Where it's like, yes, Buffy and, and Spike in this sex scene, it's very like violent and, and you know hot and heavy. And I, I can understand how people can find that arousing. But at the same time, unfortunately, what the show is doing and what so much media does, right, is it conflates abusive behavior with kinky sex or with BDSM sex when it, that couldn't be farther from the truth, right? Like people who actually practice BDSM, people who actually are into like more uh, aggressive kinks, they spend so much time learning about and talking about consent to make sure that everybody stays safe and that 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 room for abuse and exploitation doesn't get exploited. And and so like Bridget's comment here is just making me think about like how much better would it have been if Buffy had found somebody that she could explore those darker sort of fantasies with, but in a healthy and loving and respectful way. Well said. And thanks for writing in, Bridget. Last Hot Stake is from Kayla. Uh, Kayla is one of our chosen ones, but also she's one of the hosts, along with Brittany, of the podcast Left of Skeptic. Hey, ladies. A couple weeks ago, we were recording this at the end of August. A couple weeks ago, I actually went to Duluth and I met Kayla and Brittany in person for the first time. And it was amazing. Yay. <laughs> so thanks for writing in, Kayla. Uh, Kayla wants to talk about, talk about Willow. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'm sensing a theme here. Kayla says, Willow has shown us throughout the seasons as she has grown that she is very stubborn, especially when it comes to magic. How many episodes have we seen her push back and then eventually argue about spells she should or shouldn't be using? She's, all, she's had these arguments with multiple characters and usually she gets her way. And even when her spells have gone wrong, long term, there's always been some sort of a happy ending. So it's made her cocky. I think it's possible that Tara is being supportive gal because they may have made many fights in private and she doesn't want to cause an argument in front of friends. So that's kind of speaking to uh, conversations we've had previously about, you know, Willow and Tara and why is Tara being so supportive of resurrecting Buffy? Uh, Kayla goes on to say, I also think that one of the reasons Xander is hesitant to talk about his engagement to Anya is because who has been the most argumentative and the least supportive when it comes to his relationship with Anya? His best friend, Willow. No one wants to argue with their partner or best friend. It's awkward and uncomfortable, even when it's necessary. I think it took Giles, his arrival, to finally get the call out that she needed to hear. Uh, he's not scared of her attitude. And what happened when he called her out? Heavy pushback and even a threat. Willow is displaying a big problem attitude, and I doubt it's going to get any better. So there we have a, yet another perspective on Willow versus Giles. Thanks, everyone, for your hot stakes. Was a, uh, I'm sure we'll have many more to come, um, and we can't wait. We love when you guys write in. And thank you to all of our supporters on Buy Me a Coffee, especially our chosen ones. Susanna, Reese, Joshua, Luis, Nicola, 
Jordan, Julian, Kayla, Holly, and Lizzie. Amy, Ricky, Tasha, Haley, Jace, Allison, Erica, Destiny, Kyle, and Emma. Thanks, everybody. We got smashed today, and next week we'll get wrecked. See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week